Hey everyone, just a note about this episode. I feel like this YouTube night was really disjointed and it might not sound like that at all, but um, I kept getting distracted by some stuff in the chat and I was really excited. The chat was very, very, very active and that made my heart very happy. But apologies if it seems a little disjointed or if you can't tell whether I'm talking to somebody in the chat or talking to you. I also want to make my defense that I made a comment that Peter said he would rather fish than, you know, listen to the rabbi give instructions, which, you know, I guess instructions is different than teaching. But I said that didn't resonate with me. I didn't think Peter would say that. And people in the chat told me I was wrong and that Peter actually said he would rather listen to the rabbi than fish. Well, I went back to the episode. I watched it and I was right. So don't want to say I told you so because I was kind of wrong. He did say he would rather fish than listen to instructions about the sermon, which is different than listening to Jesus preach. I'll give you that. But I was kind of right. So anyway, here you go. Our YouTube discussion from Thursday night on episode seven. So welcome back, everybody. We had a good little time in the chat just now talking about everybody's favorite parts. And I'm so excited that Dan opened up who Yusuf might be. Um, so before we jump into the episode, just to say, I never thought. So Dan brought up in the chat that Yosef, he's wondering if he's Joseph of Arimathea. And that didn't cross my mind. And I love that idea. So Yosef is um, Hebrew and um, we would translate it Joseph. And so we see him um, with Shmuel. We see him throughout the first, a little bit in the first season. Um, he's often in the Capernaum synagogue when they're talking. And I love the fact that it could be Joseph of Arimathea. It's interesting. I always just think of Joseph of Arimathea being this rich guy who, you know, but he was a respected member of the council. And so I love this idea. Um, and I'm so grateful that you kind of opened that up. So we'll see. Um, that's what I love about The Chosen is all the backstories and you never know who is going to be somebody, you know. And so a lot of times we may spend a little bit of time trying to figure out, is this going to be this person? Is this going to be this person? Um, but I'm I'm like really pumped now. I'm really excited that you, if it's not the case, it's not the case, but I'm really excited. So welcome back, everybody. We are talking today, tonight, about season two, episode seven reckoning so we're getting close to the end of the season as always throw in the chat you know our question to start today before we started um was you know what was your favorite part of the episode what was your least favorite part and just to kind of see what people what people liked so we've had some good discussion in the chat you can throw where you're watching from um because it's really fun to see where everybody's watching from we have people you know all over the country now watching these which is great and listening later so so welcome everybody, and I'm excited to jump into season two, episode seven, which isn't, is a, it's a lot of character development. It's a lot of tension building. It's, um, you know, there's only one part that's actually scriptural. And, you know, Dallas has responded to that a little bit, that criticism that we're, you know, just stick to the scripture. He pointed out season one wasn't very scriptural either, and people didn't seem to have a problem with it. But I think now that Jesus's public ministry started, we're all really antsy about um, wanting to see the miracles and hear the teachings. And so character development, sometimes we can get antsy about it. Um, and so, yeah, so it's just been, it's been an interesting season to see what people like and dislike about it. But this episode wasn't really scriptural till the very end when he taught them the Our Father. But I think it's an important episode for, again, character development and then just building tension and building, you know, where this ministry is headed. So there were things I really liked about this episode. There are things I didn't like about this episode. And we will jump into that after we pray. So let's pray together. The words that Christ himself taught us that we hear in this episode. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so we are jumping in, and we're pretty much going to go chronologically through the episode, kind of just recap. There's a lot of stuff going on, 
And, um, you know, I think it's one of those episodes that you have, you kind of have to watch maybe twice to really see what's going on. Like somebody's mentioned in the chat, Jay mentioned, you know, we were talking about Yosef earlier in the chat and people were like, I didn't recognize him. Well, partly because at the end of the episode, he didn't want to be recognized. He was in disguise. And so I think there's a lot going on in this episode um, that, you know, maybe a little recap would be helpful. So I'm going to give you my commentary, but it's going to be through the lens of a recap of the episode. So um, we won't recap everything because you all watched it, but that's how my commentary is going to be framed. Um, so I really like the beginning when James and John, um, you know, I mean, this isn't the opening, but at the, towards the beginning of the episode, um, I like that Peter, Andrew, James and John are supposed to be fishing. I think that's very believable. That's something I have not thought about. Like, where would they get food? Well, when they're by the Sea of Galilee, why not fish? Um, so Jotapata, which I knew I'd, I'd mispronounce, but this little city they're going to, um, Jotapata, Jotapata, I don't know, it's J-O-T-A-P-A-T-A. -A -A. Um, it's very, very far in the north. And so if you look it up, you can see they've been do doing excavations up there. Um, and so they may actually be on the Mediterranean Sea at this point, um, based on where they are. Um, but they're going to, they're going to fish. And I think that's very believable that they'd be fishing because that's how they can get food. Um, I don't actually think i didn't like the fact that peter was like i'd rather fish than listen to jesus talk um listen to the rabbi i that didn't resonate with me i feel like once you know peter wasn't perfect obviously but um that just didn't seem true to a follower of christ but maybe that's just me maybe i'm being a little idealistic in my idea of peter um but again i think it makes sense that they would fish and you know the little brotherly contest i thought it made him very real so i was fine with that what I'm not so fine about, which I think a lot of people are having trouble with based on some comments I've gotten via Facebook and um, on Instagram, is this whole execution of the Sermon on the Mount. And um, we'll talk more about it next episode, but I'm just, I really don't think the sermon was planned like this. And it's not like I visualize the Sermon on the Mount being, but um, we'll talk about it more, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I just am not, um, I don't really like that they're planning it. Um, oh, Sandy's saying, maybe I was wrong. Sandy's saying he wanted to hear him rather than fish. I thought he said, okay, so I take that back and I'm going to say it. Maybe I misheard. I, if he said he would rather hear him than fish, um, I'd rather fish is something a teenager would say getting out of church. That's true to get out of church. So maybe I'm wrong. So everybody go back and listen. Um, maybe he'd rather listen to him than, than fish. Um, and you're, yeah. Have we ever actually seen them catch a fish? I don't think we have. They're not, they don't seem to be the best fishermen, but um, anyway, going back to the sermon on the Mount, I just don't, I, this planning the sermon, this executing the sermon, I just, it doesn't ring true to me. Um, Yes. one of the, So Brandy just said, I need to watch it again. Clearly, clearly I've only watched season two twice. And so I'm missing these quotes. But um, the importance of speaking directly to every person that was brought out, I thought that was really beautiful that Christ said he wants to speak directly to every person, even though there are thousands, he's speaking directly to each person. That's a really important point because that's the way scripture's written, right? Scripture's written for millions of billions and trillions of people. But at the same time, it's written directly for you. And so what's in scripture is written directly for you. So this Sermon on the Mount is going to be addressed not just to the thousand that's in the, the thousands that are in the crowd, but it's also going to be addressed to all of us. But, you, you know, mysteriously, Christ speaks to every single person listening. So I liked that they brought that out. Um, but this whole idea of like him setting up this sermon, him planning it, um, him saying like, this is going to define my ministry. You know, we look back now and say the Sermon on the Mount is the defining teaching of Christ, right? That's really what sets in many ways, sets his teaching apart from others. Um, ultimately, what sets him apart from others is that he died and rose from the dead, right? What sets him apart from others is that he's God. But in his, te when we look back and look at his teaching, the Sermon on the Mount is, is really his, you know, his teaching, his sermon, his, his this, this is a turning point in his ministry. I don't know. Jesus would have known that, obviously, right? But I don't know whether it would have been presented in this way. And so I kind of have a I have trouble with that. Um, I don't think he. And we'll talk about this again. We'll talk about this especially next next episode on Sunday. Um, I don't think he would have had to get his thoughts together. I don't think he would have had to practice in this way. Um, 
but I do think, you know, and we'll talk about this on Sunday, he's using that, especially the conversation with Matthew that's to come, to be us, to, to, to allow us to be taught without just reading Matthew's gospel. Um, so there is a reason why he's doing that. Dallas is choosing to do this. Um, but this whole idea of like, let's, the sermon's really important. This is the focus. We're all getting there. Um, you know, I think the Sermon on the Mount came about because people started following him. Thousands of people started following him and they sat down and listened to him. Um, so, but we'll talk about that more on Sunday. So we have the whole, um, you know, we have two kind of camps angry at Jesus, right? We have Shmuel, right? And, and the Pharisees that are angry. Shmuel, but also Yanni, who's not in this episode, is he? He might be. But Shmuel, and then we'll also see the Pharisees from that little tiny backwater town at the end of the episode. So we have the Pharisees mad, and then we have the Romans mad. So um, when Shmuel comes back from Jerusalem, Yosef is all excited to see him. You know, there's there's talk of Nicodemus, and, you know, Shmuel's on a different different path now, right? Shmuel is 100% focused on Jesus of Nazareth. And so um, Shmuel, Yosef doesn't like this, right? Um, and, and so Yosef is getting second thoughts when he sees Shmuel's plan. I thought it was really interesting that Yosef told, her, told him that like Ethiopian, Tamar, is preaching and it's spreading like wildfire. And this is what the gospel should do, right? We want it to be spreading for wildfire. And we're going to get to the fact that this is a problem that Andrew doesn't want it. But this is a good thing that the gospel is spreading, that the word of Jesus Christ is spreading. It's a good thing, um, even if it's going to cause controversy. So the Romans are also mad. And remember, this actually goes back to season one. Quintus, a while ago, asked, right, to, to, to see Jesus of Nazareth. And so we're kind of having a hearkening back to a reminder that in season one, Quintus came to see Nicodemus and said, if you meet with Jesus, I want to be there, right? Quintus wants to question Jesus of Nazareth. So this isn't a new searching out because you might be thinking, why do the Romans, why are the Romans looking for Jesus? Um, this isn't new. This is hearkening back to season one. Um, and so we see Shmuel and the Romans, you know, they're, they're kind of together after Jesus of Nazareth, but they're still at odds, right? They may have the same foe right now, but they're still at odds. And the Romans make that very clear to Shmuel. Like, this doesn't make us friends, right? Um, we're building this, we're building this to get to the tension in three years, right? Um, and this is to show that Jesus... The controversy of Jesus of Nazareth doesn't come out of nowhere, but it builds and builds and builds. So here we are to the point where the Pharisees and the Romans are not on the same page. They both are weary of Jesus of Nazareth, right? They both don't like Jesus of Nazareth. And we're grouping Romans and Pharisees in very big groups, right? Some of the Pharisees like Jesus, like Nicodemus. Um, so we're speaking in general terms, but we're to the early stages. So they're not in cahoots. And that's very clear, right? They're not in cahoots. We have three years before anything's going to happen. Um, so the Romans go get Jesus. Um, and, you know, I, I've begun to really like Atticus, right? When Atticus first came on the scene, so remember he's the spy um, that is following Simon the Zealot. I wasn't sure about Atticus. I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, even Atticus is intrigued by Jesus. Did you catch that? Like, Atticus is along for the ride, not because he wants to help Quintus. He hates Quintus. He's along for the ride because he's intrigued by Jesus. And it kind of reminded me of Herod being intrigued by John the Baptist, right? We read in, in the Gospels that Herod liked listening to John the Baptist. He was intrigued by John the Baptist. And that opening of the door, right? If lust hadn't, obviously then lust got in and Herod had a lot of problems. Um, but that opening of the door to be intrigued, we have to take the next step to follow, right? But I feel like there's a door opening for Atticus. And I agree, Christina. I think Atticus is going to become a follower. Um, you know, he says he doesn't strike me at all. He doesn't strike me at all as threatening or scary. And that scares me. And that scares me, right? Um, there's something different about this man. And Atticus is intrigued, right? He's seen the miracles, right? He says, like, I saw this man walk, and I saw a zealot lay down his sword. I mean, his sword got, his dagger got thrown into the pond by Jesus. But 
these things are bothering him. Why? Because Jesus seems different. He doesn't strike me at all as threatening or scary, and that scares me. I think that's a really, really important quote. So Atticus is intrigued. Um, Atticus is always eating. Um, Quintus is always eating. Everyone, that it's hilarious. I love Quintus, and we're going to get to that. But somebody just commented that Atticus is always eating. Um, so yeah, Atticus is searching, and he's intrigued. And that's a, that's a, that's a good combo. Um, we have the character of Andrew. And so I think there's three kind of themes to this episode that I could see was, I want to talk about Andrew. I want to talk about the spreading the gospel and the difficulties of spreading the gospel. And then I want to talk about Quintus because I love Quintus. Um, so when I first watched the episode, I was really confused why Andrew was so upset. Um, and, and in the second watching and in watching some interviews, um, Andrew is spiraling. Andrew is agitated because his, you know, he, he loves John and John's been, John's been taken. So he's agitated. I'm wondering if Andrew's a phlegmatic. So I'm giving a retreat next week for a parish about the temperaments. And so the four temperaments are always on my head right now because I've been reading about them and writing about them. But um, phlegmatics tend to be they hate conflict. They tend to just want everyone to be happy. They'll do whatever they need to do to make sure everyone's happy. They don't want to make waves. Um, they're just kind of like, let's not rock the boat. And to me, and they're also very big rule followers because if you follow the rules, you won't make waves and everyone will be happy. And so to me, Andrew is like a phlegmatic that snaps. So when a phlegmatic finally snaps, they like freak out. And to me, Andrew, you know, people aren't following the rule, the, the rules. Um, so Dan says controllers. So phlegmatics actually aren't controllers. Cholerics tend to be the controllers. Phlegmatics just want everything easy. And so I think Andrew just wants everything to be okay. And now it's not okay. And he's spiraling. Um, you know, he doesn't want to make a scene because that will lead to Jesus's arrest and Jesus will end up like John. Uh, so he's letting worry and fear take hold of him, and he spirals, right? What's he say about Mary Magdalene? She should have gone to Jesus, right? So he starts pointing fingers, right? And he, this becomes even more pronounced later in the episode in that really tense moment between all the apostles, right? Andrew tells Peter, like, like he, she should have gone to Jesus. And if I'm ever tempted, I'll ask the rabbi for help. Well, you know, that's a recipe for the fact that that's not, you know, this isn't going to happen someday, right? He's going to be tempted and he's not going to ask the rabbi for help. Um, so, you know, if I'm ever tempted, I'm going to ask the rabbi for help. So he freaks out, right? He's not asking the rabbi for help. So he doesn't even notice that he is letting worry and fear dominate and take away his trust in Jesus. So he no longer trusts in the Lord. He no longer believes the Lord's there. He doesn't even notice it, right? Um, it's weird. He's like, it com completely ruined all the plans for the sermon. Again, I, this, this, I, I didn't like that. But anyway, notice Peter then says, you're the one who told me he was the Messiah. Am I going to have to remind you now? Am I going to have to remind you that he's the Messiah? And so Andrew's struggling in faith and doesn't even realize it. And aren't we all Andrew at times, right? That, that we, we don't honestly trust the Lord. We get worried because we don't realize he's in control. We don't want to admit he's in control. And so we have all the piety and we have all the obedience and we know how to say our prayers. And if I go to daily mass and say my daily rosary, everything should be fine. And when it's not fine, I spiral because I actually lack faith. So I have all the outward appearances of being that docile witness but when things aren't in my control, when things are going wrong, when there's chaos, I lose my faith in the Lord. So Peter's like, do I need to remind you he's the Messiah and he's in control? And they all lose it, right? When Jesus is arrested, they all lose it. They None of them have faith that he's going to come back, right? He's like, I'm going to come back. And they all freak out, right? Um, I thought it was really beautiful when he asked if he could say goodbye to his ima. Um, and then did you notice he translated it into Latin for the Roman soldiers? Um, my mother, he said, can I say goodbye to, to my Ima? And then he was like, my mother, um, in Latin. 
I like that Jesus told Gaius that Matthew was safe. Um, and Gaius really does care for Matthew, I think. Um, and I think there's a little hint, right? Gaius is like, what, do you, what does he see in you? And Jesus is like, should we talk about this later? Really hoping Gaius is going to get saved. Um, and I think he will. I, I'm kind of hoping he has a son that needs to be raised from the dead. Um, no. Um, so, or daughter, sorry. Centurion, servant, servant. I'm getting all my miracles mixed up because I don't have them written down on my notes. So I just, I kind of hope he's a centurion. But we're past that in the scriptures, so we're going to have to go back to the centurion to get that miracle, but we'll see. Um, so Jesus is taken away, right? He's taken away. It's a foreshadowing of what's to come. When, you know, when Mother Mary watches him be taken, taken, being taken away, we think of, like, that's Mary at the Passion, right? And we're going to have to really, um, yeah, we're going to have to, I'm sorry, I'm getting so distracted by my mistake about the centurion and his servant versus Jairus, the synagogue official, and his daughter. But anyway, we're going forward. Um, so that's foreshadowing, right, of, of Jesus being taken away. And it's really odd that the the apostles have this reaction that they are going to like they have this reaction that we need to go get him and i'm thinking what's hap what changes in three years right that andrew's like let's go get him again like yeah he's turned into peter in his weird worry spiral um and, and they want to save him and i'm like what's going to change in three years um something's going to change that they they're they run away in three years and so i'm i'm kind of mulling over that but the disciples start bickering right um mary calls them boys and that was such a motherly moment because she's their mother right john reacts badly to that and i disagree with that depiction um john kind of reacts disrespectfully i thought to her he's like boys like he, he calls her out and um i'm not saying that because i don't think he would have done that not because he's a saint and she's mother mary but because she's an older woman, and I think his Jewish upbringing would have, he would, that would not be, um, even in this distress, I don't think that would be a go-to reaction for him. But again, these are just my little observations. Um, they're all upsetting Mary, right? Mary's getting so upset. And I don't know about you, but when I was watching it, I was like, I upset Mary all the time, right? When we sin, when we choose, when we make decisions contrary to her son's will, when we say by our actions or by our words or by our thoughts that we don't love him, whether we know that's what we're saying or not, I upset Mary too. And so to see that distraught, blessed mother was a good image for me because that's what I do when I sin. And that's what I do when I try to take matters in my own hands. I thought it was really beautiful then that Mary Magdalene has learned from her sin. And she said, you know, I relied on my own understanding. I relied on my own power. They are doing the same thing Mary did, but just in a different way, aren't they? And how easy it is for us to point out other people's sins like they did with Mary, right? They called Mary out. They condemned her. They accused her when they were in the middle of doing the same thing, just in a different way. They too were relying on their own understanding. Like she tried to fight and rely on herself and that's how she fell. And what are they doing? They're not trusting in the Lord. Jesus said, I'll be back. And they, and they're, they're new, new, new apostles. And we have to remember that, right? Um, they're newbies, they're babies. And so they don't know how this is all going to work and they don't know you know, what his plan looks like. And they think they need to figure out his plan, right? They think they need to figure it out. And I think what Mary Magdalene has learned, which is what we all learn from sin, right? We all need to learn from sin. Francis de Sales talks about how it is good to sin because we're welcomed back by the Lord. I mean, he doesn't say those exact words, but he basically does. He says like scandalous things in his introduction to the devout life about how our sin can be loved because it brings us back to the Lord, because it's a way for us to find mercy, because we learn from it. We learn something about ourselves and we learn something about other people. Um, if we never sin, we're never sanctified. 
And so there's that beautiful moment where Mary has learned from her sin, has repented of her sin, and has grown from her sin. And her sin has, has changed her. And now she can help these other apostles learn. Don't rely on your own understanding. Don't rely on your own power. And I thought that was a beautiful moment of growth for Mary. Um, Andrew then, of course, wants to go silence Tamar. So they go, like Andrew goes, Philip luckily goes with him. Um, good old Philip, right? He's, you know, we know from scripture he was a follower of John. And he's like, I got this, right? I'm used to this. So um, so Philip goes to, goes with Andrew and Andrew wants to silence Tamar, right? Why? Out of fear. Andrew, this whole episode is Andrew operating out of fear, out of worry. And, you know, Tamar's evangelizing. Tamar's doing exactly what everyone's supposed to do, right? Jesus has told a few people, keep it quiet. Um, but like Tamar says, like, how can I but speak of what I've seen and heard? Which is exactly what the apostles say in Acts. This is exactly what Peter and John will say when they're told by the Sanhedrin not to speak of the resurrection. They said, how can we keep but speaking in here? How can we help but speak of what we've seen and heard? And that's what Tamar says, right? How can I not, um, how can I not speak of these things? And, you know, Andrew says, you can't keep doing this. Why? Because he's fearful. So then we have this incident with Yosef that we talked about in the chat and we talk, that Yosef comes to warn them, right? And you might not recognize him because he's in disguise. And he says, I trust Nicodemus. I'm a follower of Nicodemus. I thought this was a really interesting reminder to us of what we could call our sphere of authority, that all of us have um, a sphere of authority, which means we have a sphere of influence, I should say, not authority. This, this sphere of influence that um, that there are certain people in our sphere of influence that we have an impact on. And how do we impact them? Do we impact them for the good or for the bad? And that sphere of influence are the people that we first and foremost need to be bringing to Jesus. And sometimes we can do that just by the way we live and just by our basic testimony. So a lot of times we want to go on mission trips and we want to go, you know, preach to the ends of the earth, but we haven't even preached to our sphere of influence. Those people that God has put in our direct contact, whether they're our family members or our neighbors or our relatives or our, you know, the people at, at the co-op or the people, you know, in PTO. And so the Yusuf thing saying, like, he trusts Nicodemus. So Nicodemus, even without preaching the gospel, has brought people within his sphere of influence to trust Jesus Christ. And so how are we witnessing to those people in our sphere of influence? Are we Nicodemus where, you know, even though he didn't outwardly preach Christ, he spoke in defense of him several times, right? And that was enough to bring Yosef closer to Christ. And I thought that was a really good reminder to us. Um, okay, so Jesus and Quintus. Jesus is Quintus. Jesus and Quintus. What a great scene. Um, first of all, it was kind of the comedic relief we needed. There were really funny moments, I think. Um, somebody mentioned it in the chat when Matthew corrects. Um, who is he correcting? That they said four words instead of three. Um, he said three words, and Matthew's like, those were four words, actually. Um, so there were some in there were some humorous moments, but I just loved, 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 loved this meeting between Jesus and Quintus. So right away, um, you know, Jesus, you know, Quintus says, we finally meet and I thought you'd be crazier looking, right? So there's all these great lines. Um, you know, he's eating his olives and spitting out the pits and he just has this air about him. I think this actor is phenomenal, right? Um, that he just has this air about like, I'm a Roman, I'm in charge, but he has like kind of this like, he seems ridiculously silly at times, but then he comes out with this amazing image of the fish, right? Um, but before we get to that, he says, you know, the first story I didn't believe. Um, and Jesus says, that's usually how it goes. That made me think of the first evangelization versus the new evangelization. And what I mean by that is when Jesus says, you know, he's like, the first story I didn't believe. And Jesus is like, that's usually how it goes. 
it reminds us that when the apostles were first preaching the, the good news, when they were first preaching the gospel, they were preaching something crazy. They were preaching that a man died and rose from the dead. And we see in Acts of the Apostles, when, when Paul goes to the Areopagus, people just laughed at them and scoffed. Like, you're, you're preaching crazy talk, right? It was a radical message. It was a radical message of love. It was a radical message of mercy. And it was a radical message that of the resurrection and the incarnation. And so at first glance, people might not believe that. That's the first evangelization, right? And so Jesus says, yeah, that's usually how it goes. People usually don't believe right away. The difference of the new evangelization is we're preaching this to a world that's heard it, but it hasn't taken root. And so it's vaguely, sounds vaguely familiar, but it doesn't mean anything to them. There aren't many people living in the United States of America that haven't heard about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people in the United States of America who don't live like the resurrection really happened. And the challenge of the new evangelization is to preach this message that's in many people's ears become stale because they haven't really contemplated it. Yeah, the resurrection. Yeah, Jesus became man. And we have to go preach this message and say, this is, this is revolutionary. And you're taking it for granted and you become jaded because you've grown up in a Christian culture that's no longer Christian because people don't care that Jesus rose from the dead. And so when Jesus had that reaction, that's usually how it goes. It made me think nowadays people would be like, oh yeah, a miracle. Well, you can say that, but uh, you know, they, they haven't really heard nowadays. And so it's just, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense, but I just, when he said, yeah, usually people don't first believe, you know, when they hear it, they don't believe. And I thought nowadays they hear it and they think they believe, but they don't believe because they haven't changed their lives based on it. They just kind of take it all for granted. And so that's the difference about the new evangelization. Um, John Paul II talks about preaching the gospel to a world that's heard it and rejected it. Whereas they were preaching a gospel to a world that's never heard it and that were shocked by it and then had to make that decision. So it's a great, it's a great reminder to us. Um, okay. So then Quintus was like, you'll, you know, it wasn't about God. It was about fish. And another great line, Jesus is like, oh, another common theme. Um, and that's what I love. I love the comedic relief. I love the banter in this scene. I think it's much needed and I love Quintus. So, um, did everybody catch the look that Jesus gave Atticus? Um, so Quintus introduces Atticus, and if you look at this exchange, the way Jesus looks at him is everything. So if you if you didn't catch that, go back and watch this whole scene. We haven't seen the end of Atticus, I don't think. I hope we haven't, because Quintus introduces Atticus. Jesus looks at him. I mean, Jonathan nailed this. He nailed it. Um, there's something going on with Atticus. Jesus is reading his soul. Um, okay, so then Quintus makes this, you know, seemingly random comment about raw fish in the near, in the Far East. A nice little tribute to the three magi, right? Um, um, and I love, like, his arrogance. Somebody said in the comments, you know, just like his arrogance. And, you know, he makes a seemingly raw, like, random comment about raw fish that doesn't seem to matter. But it does, because then he spins it out into this analogy, Right? Um, he spins his tail that turns into a threat. And so what he basically says is, you know, Jesus has done certain things that are good for him, right? He Peter paid his debt. Um, you know, he, you know, kept the demoniac. You know, he healed the demoniac. He's doing things that are good for Rome. And he calls those flesh. But then there's the bones that are the problem, right? He took Matthew away. Um, he, you know, caused the stampede. He made Quintus look bad to his friend. Um, and he calls those the bones. And so he says, you know, there are problems that lie under the outward appearance. There's a lot of good things happening that you're doing. But the bones are bad. Um, now, I thought an interesting thing. So basically the headaches for Rome, he's saying, are the bones. 
the victories for Rome, victories, are the flesh. And he's like, I don't know whether to spit you out, right? I don't know whether to eat you or spit you out. Like, I don't know what to do with you. I also tried to kind of think about, and this, I could be completely wrong about this, but to me, I think sometimes there was flesh was kind of the outward things, the miracles, the shiny things, where bones were what Jesus was really doing. You know, Jesus is is doing miracles, but the miracles point to something deeper. Matthew leaving his post was a deeper mission, right? Because it's about a person changing their life and following him. And so Quintus is all about the flesh, but I think Jesus is all about the bones. What are these things the shiny outward appearance of when the root, the bones of this stuff, that's what Quintus needs to be worried about. Um, because that's what's changing the world, because that's what Christ really came to do. Um, And so Quintus doesn't know what to do with Jesus, and Jesus is like, I'm sorry, and Quintus offers him a job. Did you not burst out laughing at that? I thought that was hilarious. Um, And, you know, he's like, yeah, you're doing good stuff for Rome, but you're also causing headaches. And Jesus is like, you know, that's a little reductive, right? He's he's crudely summarizing Jesus' ministry. And so, yes, so he says, you know, I don't know whether to eat you up or spit you out. And he's like, we're probably past that analogy. Quintus had me laughing out loud. Like this actor was phenomenal, right? Um, He's like, to continue the analogy, which maybe we're past it. And he looks at Atticus like, have I gone too far with this analogy? Um, And he's basically doesn't know what to make of Jesus. He doesn't know what to make of Jesus. Um, But in the end, he threatens him, right? No more bones. No more draining my out, my talent pool. No more meddling. So there's a threat, right? Don't do it. Stop. I lo- he said, honestly, Jesus of Nazareth, I like you. We're on the same team. Just don't make me kill you. And Jesus is like, I won't make you do anything. My father, on the other hand, which is interesting. Um, I don't think God makes us do anything, but we'll let that go. And then Quintus is like, I don't know what that means, but let's leave on a high note. So, but he doesn't, right? He doesn't let him leave on a high note because he alludes to John. And one last threat, right? One last threat as Jesus is leaving. So um, Atticus is concerned. Quintus is not. I think Atticus thinks, you know, you're in over your head and you don't even see it, right? That this guy is is dangerous. Um I'm going to scan the comments for a little bit before we, sh- we end. Um, the Jesus' reference to the wise men, I did mention that, but very quickly. I'm talking very fast tonight. Um, so yes, when he, when he mentioned the Magi, um, bone and flesh. Welcome to everybody who's joining for the first time tonight. This is great. We'll be back on Sunday um, at 3.30 Central Time too. But Hi to Kim. My friend Kim's on and Cheryl. So that's great. Sorry, I just had to go through the comments for a little bit. Um, so yes, Quintus is, is hysterical, but also foreboding, Cheryl says. That's a that's a really great way to say it. Um, you know, there's something, there's something to um there's something to Quintus. And I we're def- we definitely haven't seen the end of, of Quintus. Um, okay, so now the Wadi Kelt official synagogue officials come. So that's that little backwater town, and they've come. Um, would they have searched this all out? I don't know, but they did. And they'll join, join forces now with Shmuel. So we're getting this. Again, they're setting up. This is years in the making. Jesus isn't just suddenly arrested, but there's years in the making of this, of these tensions. So the Jesus comes back. Um, someone mentioned that they didn't like John's reaction, getting mad at Jesus for not coming back immediately. I agree. Like, I don't know. I, it, it's hard to, to sort out like the human reactions but then also, like, they would have had respect for their rabbi. Um, so that it, 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 it's hard because we don't know what they would have done, right? They were human. We weren't there. Um, but, but Jesus says, like, did I not tell you I'd be back? Did I not tell you I'd be back? Um, and then he gives them this great line, and this is it, right? This is it. Things are only going to get more difficult. You can't just shut down when you're fearful. And what are you going to do when I'm no longer here? Um, This is really the lesson of the episode, I think. We're seeing tensions mount. We're seeing the difficulties mount. Um, Following Christ, spreading the gospel is not easy. It's difficult. 
and there's going to be opposition. Um, and, you know, I thought about that paralytic, right? The paralytic's like, I'm just going to go, you know, I'm going to go on the DL. What would it have been like to be so publicly healed by Christ and then to have Christ, you know, fall into disfavor with your friends or fall into disfavor in the town? You're linked to him. What would that have been like? But how beautiful, like we too are linked with him and it will fall into, he will fall in disfavor in our culture. He has fallen into disfavor in our world. We are linked to him through baptism. And so things are going to get difficult for us. And this is the lesson. What do we do when things get tough, right? Um, do we fight and bicker? Do we trust? Do we lead others? Do we cower? Do we grow silent? You know, these are good examples, uh, good, you know, examinations of conscience for us. What do we do when it gets tough? What do we do when it gets difficult? Um, what would we have done for the apostles? You know, they they shouldn't have gone to get him out, right? But they should have trusted him. And so, what do we do when it gets difficult? Do we silence people because they're they're preaching the gospel and it might get it might get difficult? Um, are we Andrew? Um, so it's just interesting. I think there's a lot of good examination of, of conscience in this episode. And that's what I love about The Chosen. So often, I think we are called to see ourselves in these characters. Who am I in this episode? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Am I a little of everything? Um, and so I think that's really, that's really, really interesting to do with these, with these characters and with, um, you know, these different storylines. Do we trust? So he teaches them the Our Father. And so what a great lesson to us um, when we do feel alone, when we do face those difficulties to turn to our father in prayer. Um, you know, it's interesting. I thought I was waiting for this because I wanted to see. So not all my viewers and not all my listeners are Catholic, but I am doing this from a Catholic point of view. And um, I wondered what they were going to do about the Our Father. And, you know, so Catholics are our father comes straight from Scripture and we don't add the doxology at the end. Um, our Protestant brothers and sisters have added a doxology that we pray during the, during the Mass, but we don't pray that when we um, just pray the Our Father. We just quote the scriptures. And so um, if you're ever in like a, a ecumenical group of Christians and you're praying the Our Father and there's a lot of Catholics, we just stop praying and it gets awkward, right? Um, but so I wondered how he was going to do this episode because if he's really quoting from scripture, he would essentially... Um, pray the Catholic Our Father, and then it might, you know, it might confuse some of his, you know, non-Catholic listener, non-Catholic viewers. So it was interesting. They just kind of like phased out of the Our Father, and I just thought that was really interesting. Um, so Matthew, um, at the end, we have Jesus waking Matthew up and asking him to help him organize his thoughts. Now, again, we'll talk about this a lot on Sunday. Um, again, Matthew is going to be in the place for us. Um, Matthew is going to be, play the role of the viewer who's going to ask questions. And so, and we'll talk a lot about this on Sunday, how this whole Sermon on the Mount prep went down. Um, but it was a really powerful quote at the end when, you know, Matthew says, you know, Jesus is like, I've come to make things better, not worse. And... Matthew says, for, what about for all of us who love you? And Jesus doesn't make any promises. And that's a really powerful ending. Um, it's not going to be easy. You know, he does make life better. He doesn't make life worse. But it doesn't mean life's going to be easy, right? So when he says my burden's light, it's still a burden and it's still going to be difficult. He's just going to be there to help us carry it. If we turn to him and we don't rely on ourselves, which is also the lesson of the episode, right? Turn to him, trust in him, even when it's difficult. And never shy away from preaching the gospel. There's a lot of people in the comments coming on, commenting on Afghanistan. And um, it's true. Like all the silent Christians who are now really facing persecution even more so um, with, with, the, with, you know, with the cowardly way we've handled Afghanistan. And so uh, pray for our fellow Christians. It's a really important thing for us to remember. We, we can become so insular and so focused on our own problems we can become so focused on the church that we know, which is usually just our parish community that we go to mass, we can forget that our fellow Catholics and fellow Christians are dying for the faith. 
um, dying. So, you know, the next time you want to like argue at a parish council meeting or get mad because there's like dead flowers on the altar and they're annoying you or get mad because somebody goes to communion incorrectly, remember that our fellow Catholics are being persecuted with their very lives, right? Being killed for the things that I profess openly here, right? I'm openly professing the faith publicly to people across the country without, um, you know, freely. And not all of our Catholic brothers and sisters can do that. So pray for them and pray that we would have the courage to do the same when faced with that difficulty. So I am going to um, look over. If you have any questions as we wrap up, please shoot them in the chat. I'm going to just kind of look back. Um, Dan, I love that too. I, Dan says, we were commenting on this last scene, right? Where Matthew says something about things getting harder for us. I, it really struck me that he said, for those of us who love you. Um, that's a really powerful statement. Um, it was really beautiful to hear Matt, to hear Matthew say that. When Matthew, I think, has trouble expressing his thoughts. Earlier in the episode, he did something else. Like, I'm so happy to see you or something. And Jesus accepted it really beautifully because that's it was big for Matthew to be so expressive. And um, Dan, I agree. When he said that, it was very, very touching. Um, Nicholas asks, do you think Yosef is Joseph of Arimathea? We were actually talking that, about that in the chat before we went live. We have a little chat for about 10 minutes before I go live. That hadn't occurred to me, but Dan brought it up and I am like tripping on that. I love that idea. So I don't know if it is, but that would be awesome. And I love the fact that maybe Dallas got that by me. Um... My mom says, I like what Jesus said to Matthew at the end, what Jesus asked him. Okay, so what we were talking about, right? He can't promise that life will be easy. Um, that was really beautiful. So, okay, we have some questions about free will in the chat. Um, it's probably a little late to get into that. But um, but yes, God never takes away our free will. Um, he does use men and women to speak to others and uses us as instruments um, so Pharaoh's hardness of heart, we don't really have time to get into this, I guess, but when Pharaoh says the Lord hardened his heart, um, that's also meaning that the Lord did things that caused Pharaoh to harden his heart. So the Lord wasn't necessarily forcing Pharaoh to harden his heart, but, um, certain things the Lord did hardened Pharaoh's heart, if that makes sense. So, um, and I'm on the spot. I can't think of an example in everyday life. But there are times where we say, like, you did something, but it's because you did something that then I reacted to. Um, but it's probably a little late to talk about free will tonight. Um, and the sun's setting. I'm going to lose my light. So I'm going to sign off. Any more comments? Um, and let's see. Oh, we have some comments. Hold on. That's what I thought, too, at Joseph. Why is Alice putting the season so far north when Jesus really spent most of his time in Galilee, Capernaum? I agree. Um, I think maybe season three will be down in Capernaum. Um, I'm guessing. So I noticed Christina put in the chat that the centurion comes after the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's gospel. I think I was reading a different gospel and it comes earlier and I was like, oh, we missed it. Um, and so um, I think we're moving so slowly through these seasons that hopefully season three will be Capernaum. Because honestly, if you read the Gospels, most of his public ministry in these early days take they, takes place in like, you know, four villages on the side of the Sea of Galilee. So um, I'm hoping that we get down to Capernaum next season. Um, any conversions of Atticus or the other guy are going to happen in season three? I'm hoping, right? Um, yeah, they're not, sorry, Christina, spoiler, they're not going to happen in the next episode. We only have one episode left. So, um, Jonah, okay, so yeah, we could talk about Jonah too, but, um, so, yeah, he, he, he called Jonah, Jonah tried to ignore him, he called him again, he called him again, so the Lord is persistent, um, yes, was the Sermon on the Mount near Capernaum, yes, so, um, what we believe, right, so, the thing about the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll talk about this Sunday, is, I think Jesus probably preached the message of the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over and over and over again. I don't think there was one single Sermon on the Mount, baby, right? Um, but that these were the things that Jesus preached again and again and again and again. Um, and so 
was there a place where he preached a sermon on the mount in front of thousands of people absolutely and there you know nowadays we there's a hill near you know in the middle of his public ministry not that far away from where he multiplied the loaves and fishes and not that far away from you know all the other thing you know where jesus where the, the apostles fished after um the resurrection but i believe that the sermon on the mount probably happened a lot because this was the main message of Jesus and it's different than any other preacher before. And so he would have said it again and again and again. Um, Ronald, I agree with you about those snow-capped mountains. They are not my favorite. Um, okay. And yes, James, you're right. In Zebedee's house, Jesus began, um, and I, I really liked that, right? Jesus began to tease out some of this teaching. And so we heard things that will be later in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, but Jesus would have said this again and again, right? Um, it's not like he just would have said the Beatitudes once and then for three years not mention it again. Like, that's not even a good teaching method, right? Not to mention that he would have different people in front of him and everything. So, um, again and again, right? Um, yes. And Christina, I agree. I, I do think the place where they brought you in the Holy Land, um, we have to remember that the places they they mark in the Holy Land is the places of these miracles. Don't you think people would remember, if a thousand people heard the Sermon on the Mount, don't you think they'd remember where it was and be like, hey, it was on that hill. And then he'd tell his kids and then they'd tell their kids and then they would tell their kids. That's the beauty of the Holy Land, right? Um, Matt, Mary's not going to forget where she gave birth to the Son of God, right? And so the spot where we mark is pretty legitimately the spot because she would have told people and people would have told people. Um, you don't forget the places where history has changed forever. So, okay. On that note, we're going to wrap it up. So thanks for listening to season two, episode seven, Reckoning. And we will be back on Sunday for episode eight, our last episode of season two. So we wrap up with the Sermon on the Mount. So God bless, and I will see you Sunday.